0: We just ask you to bless this time as we look at your Word and guide us, as we look at the story of Philip and the start of the new church, and we ask you to give us a, your enlightenment on this, and that your Spirit will lead in Jesus' name, Amen. Acts chapter eight, starting at verse five. We just finished up Stephen being stoned and Saul being at uh, at that time and holding, guarding the sacrifices, and that they went around Jerusalem devastating wrecking havoc the way it says in the king james uh devastating the church and everybody but the disciples that is a christian starts leaving jerusalem Uh, so we're going to look at philip at this point verse five then philip went down to the city of samaria and preached christ unto them and the people with one accord gave heed unto the those things which philip spoke hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with with them, and many taken with palsy, and that were lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named Simon, which beforehand in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God and to him they have had regard because of that of the long time he had bewitched them into sorceries but when they believed Philip's teaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. All right. This particular Philip is not the Philip that was the disciple because it says the disciple stayed in Jerusalem. This Philip was most likely, they believe, the deacon Philip from Acts 5 uh, that was made a deacon and not the disciple because the disciples it said in in, uh, Acts um, 8.1 stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, So We have this man named Philip, he goes to Samaria, approximately 40 miles north-northwest of Jerusalem. And again, you want to remember what an odd place for a Jewish person to go start his church. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and Philip decides to go start his church in Samaria. Which I'm sure God told him to go there. I mean, it would not have been his first choice to go, go to such a place. But I just find it odd where he decided to go and preach. God had let the people get chased out of Jerusalem. Jesus had told them, go you into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utter part, uttermost parts of the world. And the church got stuck in Jerusalem for a long time. And, you know, it's kind of interesting the way God will move he brought devastation and destruction upon the church in Jerusalem so that they would go out and do what he told them to do. And this is something that we need to get into our heads a lot. It's better to obey God when he tells us to do something than when he kind of chases us out with with a whip and says, I told you to be someplace, Go, go, go do it. And so we have this process going on. So... Philip is actually following Jesus' command. He just skipped Judea. He goes straight to Samaria. But, you know, Jesus had started a work in Samaria with the woman at the well, and she preached to the... You know, she brought the people out to him, and, and so there was a work already started in Samaria that probably continued to the day when Philip goes out. And Philip goes out, and he starts preaching Christ to them. And it says... And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spoke, seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. So he obviously was able to preach. He's later on being called in the end of uh, Acts, Acts 28. He was called Philip the Evangelist. So he starts out as a deacon, and then he gets out a different title of evangelist. Uh, So he had a work that allowed him to, to preach. And... Serve God and then it says some of the miracles that he had unclean spirits were cast out All right people with palsy and this is literally weak-limbed is what it what palsy is and Those that were crippled were all healed This is powerful when he when he went out people Had healings just as when Jesus went out people were healed And this is something that we need to be able to understand. This Holy Spirit lives in us, if we're Christians. We have the power to pray for people and see healings. We have the power to cast out demons. We have power because it's not our power to begin with. It is the power of God in us. So we all have that power. Now, not all of us are going to be great healers and 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 speakers but you know what if god calls us to do it then we need to pray i will pray for anybody to be healed and i expect people to get healed i've seen many people get healed when i've prayed for them do i feel like i've got the gift of healing nope the holy spirit lives in me and there's times when i've prayed for people and they've been healed i've seen people in the middle of asthma attacks end up out of their attack i prayed for somebody that had needed a heart transfer, transplant, and he was healed. Many people that I have prayed for have been healed. Do I consider myself a healer? Nope, because it's all God anyway. And it's not my gift, (laughs) but because the Holy Spirit lives in me, I can pray and people will get healed. Uh, Haven't had the chance to cast out demons yet. (laughs) Uh, Or cause a resurrection. (laughs) Uh, But those are out there, and those things can happen and it says, with all of this going on, that there, in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. This is a major work. He has left Jerusalem, where thousands of people have gotten saved and become coming into church. He goes to Samaria, and a great move happens. And this is, this is an interesting thing. He is getting a big work started. And then we have this little word, but, in, in verse 9. But there was a certain man named Simon, (laughs) who was a sorcerer. Now, if you know anything about sorcery, all of it is tricks and mirrors, just as magicians are today. It's all tricks and smoke and mirrors. Uh, But he had said bewitched, but basically the word means astonished. They marveled at him. He seemed to have power. And this is something that is very interesting. If somebody is good with magic, they seem to have power. And they can play this up. And they can make this look very interesting. Magicians love to see those and love to try to find the tricks that they're doing. What is the trick that they're they're using? What is the trick that they're following? And he was saying that he was some great person. So his tricks, his bewildering made them think that he was something. Uh, and it says that the least to the highest paid attention to him. You know, It was one of those things when he spoke, everybody listened. <laughs> you know, and this was Simon. He was doing this through his magic, <laughs> his sleight of hand. He was able to, to make people think that he was something great. And the word was that he had the power of God. So he was making himself up. And I'm sure that in the process, he was probably getting rich. All right. Uh, Could get people to give whatever he wanted, make it look like things were happening. Uh, He was a powerful man. And Philip shows up. And Philip is doing... What he's going to look at, he's going to try to go, how is he doing these tricks? How are these people getting healed? How are these demons coming out? And as more and more people are getting saved, his power is being diminished over a period of time. And we look at this, and so he decided, okay, well, I'm, I'm losing power. The, Philip's got something I don't have. In verse 9, he says, but when they believed... Philip's preaching and things concerning the kingdom of God. They were baptized, men and women. So we have Philip out there preaching the gospel. People are getting baptized. And this is something that's really wonderful as he goes out and about. People are coming into Christ. Now remember, these are not Jews. These are Samaritans. Up till this point in time, the church has been completely Jewish. It's going to be changed over time as we go forward. Peter's going to go to Cornelius's house, but he's the first one to go out and preach to people that aren't Jews. This is going to cause some concern to the, to the apostles. They don't understand because in their mind, they're still Jews. And all of a sudden, we're getting people in here to know the Samaritans aren't too far they're considered half-breeds remember the the ground thing for the Samaritans were they were the people that were left behind during the Babylonian uh, the, uh, the uh, Babylonian and the uh, <coughs> captivity. they were the poorest of the poor left behind and the Babylonian people took people, moved them all over the kingdom and, and then took people from other parts of the kingdom and moved them into the conquered territory and so these people were considered half-breeds by the Jews. They, they were not pure. They did not stay married within, within them. They married the other people that had come into town, into the region. And so the, the Jewish people that came out of Babylon looked at them and said, you guys aren't pure. You're not pure. So they're half-Jewish. They're half so it's not too far down the road you know, for them. But now we've got these people that aren't Jews, aren't allowed to go into the temple. And they're looking at him. What do we do with these guys? You know, this is we're going to see in the, by the end of this chapter. We're going to have some uh, uh, some of the disciples sent to see what's going on. <laughs> what, what is happening up there? What is being taught? And let's see, um, verse thirteen. Then Simon himself also believed and was baptized, and he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So it says here that Simon believed. And we're gonna find out that Peter is gonna say that he did not believe. And I think he was playing a game. You know, He at least appeared to believe and he's following around and and it says he continued with Philip. He was a magician expecting that Philip was a magician so he's trying to find out how is he doing all of these <laughs> tricks. Because he expected them to be tricks. I mean, he did not expect this to be real. He did not do real stuff. And he figured, this guy is taking my authority away. He's got some trick that I don't understand. I'm going to stay close to him. I'm going to find out what this, what this is, this, what this trick is. And this is something that happens all the time in churches. Churches will get people to come along. If there if there's a church that's building up reputation in the town, there will be people coming along and they will be the, the wolves in sheep clothing to try to damage what's going on. Satan puts people in for that purpose. This is Simon. Simon's losing his, his uh, reputation and he's looking for what's happening. Now he's... Philip doesn't, doesn't discern what's going on, does not discern what's going on. And so this means that Simon is a good actor, and we know he's a good actor. Most magicians are wonderful actors. They love the stage, they love, they love the showmanship part of it, and Simon is playing a part here. And the only reason I know this is because I'm jumping ahead because I've read the rest of the chapter, and I know what, I know what Peter says about him. Uh, so he's play acting the good Christian, you know, and he's play acting the authority position. He's, he's playing up to the leader of the church and buttering him up probably, watching him like a hawk to find out if he can learn how to do these tricks. Verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they came down prayed for them, and they did that they might receive the Holy Spirit. As for yet, he has fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter has said unto him, your money perish with you because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent thereof of your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your hearts might be forgiven. For I perceive that you are in the gull of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, pray, pray you to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages in, of the Samaritans. So here we have a great work going on. And this is a big work. He is leading many people in, in Samaria, uh, Samaria and most likely the city of Samaria, the, head, the, the, the capital, they're getting saved. So the disciples go, okay, what's going on up there? Now, they knew that the people got scattered. I don't know what they were expecting. Did, did they expect when they got there they were going to go to the synagogues and start preaching to the Jews or what? But the people are scattered and they start building churches. And apparently, Phillips is one of the big ones that have been developed. And so they send Peter and John <laughs> to go check this out. Go check out what's going on in Samaria. Uh, and when they got there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And remember, the real power for us is when the Holy Spirit indwells us and, we, and come and, and works out of us. The people are getting saved, they're following God, they're getting saved. And they went out and they prayed for the Holy Spirit. And apparently, this was one of the big things the book of Acts brings out, that the people would get saved and they would say, whose name were you baptized in? You know, who, whose doctrine are you following? Uh, because baptism is a big deal for the Jews. Uh, and this is something that they went on and they go, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Power comes from being filled. Now, I'm not sure about this. So this is one of those places where I have problems with because I know that when we get saved, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. All through the, book, uh, the first part of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit seems to come after the fact with the laying on of hands. Now, I don't know if it's the full power or what it means, means on this because I know that God very clearly says that we're filled with the Holy Spirit when we're saved. And yet, through these first couple chapters of Acts, we keep seeing it as a secondary event. And many churches believe that it is a full secondary event that you must have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure. You know, when we read these chapters, it's like, okay, why, why is it a second, secondary event? And it is very important for us to understand the Holy Spirit fills us and he's going to come out of us. And when he's filling somebody, there will be miraculous things involved in their life. And we see the speaking in tongues, the praying for the, for the, those that are sick, the casting out of demons, the, the, the power of the Spirit to be able to go forward. All of these things through the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have been in different denominations in my lifetime, and I've been where they really believe this and I've seen it where people have been prayed for to have the Holy Spirit fill them and seen it happen that they wanted it they got it (laughs) Uh, I don't know that the laying on of hands has to be part of it I see some some places especially in the book of Acts where it seems to be the key but and if somebody asks I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit I'll pray for them I will pray for them it's not a problem it is very important. And it says these, Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They received the power that they were wanting and they seen And Simon, he was watching these new leaders coming in. <laughs> and he saw this power. He saw that now everybody was getting the power that, that Philip had been dis- displaying. These guys can now go pray and, and lay their hands on people. And they were getting he- healed. They were getting power. And he decided that he was going to ask Peter, you know, lay your hands on me. I will give you money. Give me the, you know, why? You know, this is, we kind of think about this. He was used to buying tricks. Magicians are used to buying tricks. And sometimes those tricks cost a lot of money. Which is why they don't give the give the the uh, the trick out to other people because they spent a fortune. I was I was told by one musician uh, musician magician that he has spent as much as a thousand dollars to buy buy the the secret to a trick. So this man kind of is used to it. He's going, okay, I have just seen the greatest trick that is possible. I want to you know. Peter, I'm willing to buy this. You know, I want to buy this power. It shows that he was not understanding what was going on. He was kind of play acting with what was going on. And he says, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it almost sounds like he has the right motive, but he's doing it for the wrong reasons. Hasn't learned. Well, when we see Peter's answer, though, yeah. Peter's answer yeah, is harsh. Peter's answer is harsh. And Peter is walking through the discernment of the Holy Spirit on this. On this. And I think that from Peter's answer, yeah. that Simon has been play acting. He's been a terror in the church, you know, an, op, uh, an apparent Christian. And he's been looking for the power. And all of a sudden he says, hey, here's that opportunity. I can, I can buy real power back. He doesn't understand that it's not a trick. Because like I said, he's a magician. He's been a magician. He has played this. He can't figure this trick out. You know, he can't see where the trick is. Uh, and so he decides, I want to buy this power. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you guys are doing this. I don't know how it's transferring, but I want to buy this power. Now, there are many there are many. Preachers and teachers that believe that Simon was truly saved. But when you look at Peter's answer to him, I don't know that he was. Or if he was, it could be that he wasn't trained enough. You know, But Peter's answer is awfully harsh on somebody who might truly be be a Christian. And Peter said unto him in verse 20, Your money perish with you because you have thought that you could buy the gift of God. You have neither part in this, in this matter, or, nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent thereof of your wickedness and pray, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven, for I perceive that you are full of gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So here is a very harsh statement. He goes, yeah, basically... He's saying exactly what Peter, what Jesus said to Peter when he says, you're not going to go to the cross. And he says, get you behind me. And that's right after he admitted that he was, that Jesus was the Messiah. So it is possible, and this is why people look at this, that he has not been grown and hadn't been taught. But this is awfully harsh. And we see the, the, the end of this. He goes, your money perish because you thought you could buy a gift. And Peter says, your money perished because you thought you could buy what is free. That you can buy what is a free gift. And it says, you have neither part nor lot. You, you, you have no part. And this is what, that statement there is one of the ones that make me wonder. As far as Peter's was concerned, he was not a follower. He was trying to play games. And I really do believe that he, you know, from what I read, I think Peter was right. He's, he's playing games. He's trying to find a way to get back into power in Samaria. Because he was probably planning to sell this gift you know, or pick who, pick who he gave it to. He wasn't going to be doing it as freely as the apostles were. And you have no right. Repent thereof of your wickedness, I pray you. If perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven... Start praying. At this point, he's kind of softened back down. Start praying. Maybe God will forgive you.
1: That's one of my favorite. It's one of your favorite verses. The thought
0: of your heart thinks bad things. All of our hearts think bad things, because that's what Jeremiah says. Our our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And then he says in verse 23, and this is an interesting statement. For I perceive or I see that you are full, you are in the gull of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity bitter. And this is why I'm kind of wondering if he had even become saved. He was bitter. He had lost his position of authority in the town. And he's embittered by it. Do we know what caused Peter to see these things? and How he saw them? I would say it was the Holy Spirit that did, did, did this for him. Because that's happened for me in many occasions here. Well, somebody will say something to me. And the Holy Spirit will just ha- let me see right through what it is they're saying uh, and go, no, you can't do you can't do what you want you know what you asked for and then find out that they're starting to talk about what was really in their heart in this particular case peter Peter is one of the heads of the church, so his job was to keep the church pure and so even though, and also we want to remember that when we're told to Matthew, judge not lest you be judged by what measure you judge, you shall be judged. When we read it all in context, God really does not tell us that we can't judge, but be careful that we're judging by the right standard. If I put my Bible up as my standard, and I then look at somebody who's living in sin, I can say that is sin. And this is why... Matthew 7.1 has become the world's favorite verse now. It used to be John 3.16, but the world loves Matthew 7.1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't judge me, because. but if you read the entire context of it, Jesus was teaching us how to judge. 7.1 through verse 5 or 6 is the whole context of it. But he basically was saying, if we're going to judge, we need to judge according to truth and be willing to be judged by that truth. That's the hard part. You know, when I say that sin is sin, I can't be going out and sending that sending that sin or some other sin and trying to say it's not a problem. If I'm going to judge by what the Bible says, then I have to understand that everything the Bible says is as applicable to me as it is to the person I'm judging. And this is very important Peter the head you know or one of the the chief people in the church looks at him and God says he's playing games and he calls him out on his games and so this is part of what happens too. there's levels of authority that say you know me as an individual I can't go out and hang somebody because they've committed a crime that's vigilante justice I depend on the government to to be that to be the judge and to issue out justice. Now, unfortunately, they don't always do it right. And in the church, a pastor is in a place where he is supposed to call out evil when he sees it because it can harm the church. And so that's where Peter's at. He was given the gift. It gets tricky. Um, The lay person, if he does it right and follows what Jesus said, they go to the individual one-on-one and says, and then it better be in love. And I've said that over and over. If you're not praying for somebody, you shouldn't be going to talk to them in the first place. But you go, you know, I've really been concerned. I've been praying for you. I see this, this going on in your life. Kind of that I'm, I'm for them, That's usually what I find. <laughs> usually prayer gets the answer to, yeah. to them. Uh, if they don't respond, then you're to go find a brother, to go, a brother or sister to go with you to talk to them, and if they still don't respond, you bring it to the, to the leadership of the church, and they get called out by the church. Um, and this is, gets you into a very interesting interesting world, the whole thing, line of church discipline, and there is a line where it has to happen. And this is what I've said over and over again. I want everybody to come to church. I don't care what their sin is, because all of us are sinners. But if they're starting to try to get others to commit that sin with them, in the church, it has to be dealt with, and that may come from others coming, you know, saying no, I'm not going to do this, and then bringing somebody, and then coming to me and saying, you know, because I'm not going to know what's going on and with everybody out there. It Comes in the matter of a person versus a non-believer or non-participant. And that I would not judge anybody that's a non, non, non-Christian or non-believer. Don't even go there. I wouldn't even go there. Because my goal for them, and I've said this over and over in my lifetime, it's easier to lead somebody to the Lord who is in sin. Now, I would let them know that they're, they're in sin. I'm not going to try to, but I'm not judging them. God calls what you're doing sin. And I'll drop it because they're not going to change. I don't, and I don't want them to change in one side. And if they're not a believer. I don't want them to be a good acting unbeliever. But you do at least go that one step. If it comes down to it, I will. I, I have to have a relationship with them. There has to be a reason. And I've developed a relationship with them. Then, yes, I will tell them what they're doing is sin. All right? But I don't do it just off the cuff. I mean, it's somebody you have to know that, that's, you know, and, and I'd have my verse with it. You know, and I would, I'd just drop it. I would just say it is a sin. And I wouldn't press it. And I'm not even pressing them to try to get out of it. And because they go, well, shall I quit it? And I go, not only are you going to follow God, you know, because you get somebody who is a good <laughs> moral person who's still a sinner and non-believer, they're hard to reach. Because now they think that I'm doing good things for God. So I'd always I would just assume they keep sinning. Yeah, you know, I would just assume that they keep sinning. But if it's a brother a brother or a sister that I care about, then I'm going to be starting with prayer. And then approach them and saying, "You know, I've really been concerned with what I've been, been seeing you do, and you know, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you, and just let you know that I'm really concerned because God calls it a sin." And again, where are we at with all of this? You know, is it affecting us? Is it affecting the church? Is it affecting others? Uh, a lot of it is not going to be a care. If I'm dealing with the lost world, and I'm witnessing to them. I'm probably not gonna touch something that they don't think is sin. When I talk to a homosexual and witness to a homosexual, I'm not talking to them about their homosexuality because they don't believe it's wrong. I will talk to them about lying, stealing, the murder in their heart, adultery, uh, fornication. But I'll leave the homosexuality alone because the other ones I know that I can get them convinced of as being sin. And then once they're saved, Now the Holy Spirit is in them to convict them of their sin, and they hopefully get into reading the Bible and get into a good church, and now God can talk to them. So with most of the world, I'm not really going after their sinful lifestyle because it's not going to do any good anyway. All I can really do by going after their sinful lifestyle is maybe make them think that they're good people and earning earning points with God. The Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever of their need for God. And then he convicts us as his children when we do wrong and also disciplines us. Because the unbelievers' discipline is coming. Whether they reject him or not, it's coming, and God may make things difficult for them on, on the world to get get their attention. And that's by way of what we call the conscience? The conscience, so just working in their life. A lot of it is conscience. Um, I've seen so many people get saved. You just say something to them in the... In passing, you, know, you fumble and bumble your way through a presentation, and then God's Spirit works on them in the middle of the night. And they're going, you know what? I'm I really am not that good a person. I, I can't be perfect. And, and God will work on their heart sometimes in the middle of the night, and they'll scream out you know, for asking for God's help. Uh, our job is just to share it with them. Uh, my job is not to condemn them for their sins because when they sin, they're doing what comes natural. You know, for us, it should be unnatural to sin, but we know that we have a human you know, nature, the flesh and the, and the lust of the flesh are still in us. So even when we sin, it's doing what is well, unnatural for us, but part of our inner nature. Take that back to Simon. He was doing what comes natural to us. He did. Yeah, I want to buy that. I, you, you've got a trick I want to... I, I don't understand this trick. I can't, I can't see how it's working. I want to buy that trick. So, they, so the people that sin are thinking they're doing nothing wrong. Mostly. It's not sin. Mostly. They are they're, they're kidding themselves. They've seared their conscience. Ultimately, they, people know that they are sinning when they first start. But if I keep doing the same sin over and over and over again long enough... I get immune to the conscience pricking me, and that's when the Holy Spirit will come in and say, uh, "Hold it! You you do remember this is this is wrong." And the thief can get to the place where they no longer think they're doing wrong, doing anything wrong. They just believe that they're doing what they need to survive. But no matter how much they sear, it's still wrong. It's still, in their head. it's still wrong in their head, and they'll know that it's wrong under certain circumstances. Because all you have to do is ask, well, you want somebody to steal from you? Oh, no, that would be wrong. You know, but they won't tie it into the fact that they're stealing from other people. So they know that it's wrong. They have just not accepted that it, it's wrong for them. And we see it over and over again. You know, Over and over again that people just get so deep into their sin. You justify it. To you justify it. You allow it. Uh, you know, well, I'm stealing because they have it and I don't and I should have it. I deserve it. I, I deserve, yeah, I deserve it. it. You know, it was given to them. They didn't work, you know, they didn't work hard or they're privileged. Yeah. Uh, all the stuff that we hear in today's world. I've known a few thieves, yeah. I've professional thieves, but that's how they live. They yeah. think and they figured that that stuff was open and it was theirs. Right. It, it should have been. It's mine. It should have been mine. Yeah. If I if I had just had that privileged life, I would have been it would have been mine and not theirs. So I'm just going to take it from them. Yeah. I one guy say, if I didn't take it, someone else would. <laughs> yeah, good. I <No>. my <laughs> sure. But this is the way that's you know this whole thing leads into the idea of socialism. Yeah. You know, you poor people have been so abused, and if you just had you, the silver spoon in your mouth, you would have had all this stuff. They had the silver spoon in their house mouth. They had it so easy. You know. Uh, yes, some of them work their butt off, but they, you know, they don't deserve—they don't deserve it. You, you deserve it, and so this whole process of is victimization. Our world is in victimization mode. I didn't get it. I, I deserve it, and it's because, you know, I have the wrong skin color. I'm the wrong sex. I was in the wrong, uh, wrong neighborhood. You know, I got passed over by—I got passed over the, by the, by the boss. They promoted. You know. Uh, they promoted the, the uh, minorities over me so that I didn't get the position I did, you know. And over and over and over again, it's, you know, all the problems that people will quote that they have. Instead of saying, God, help me be content with what I have, and watch what God can do for them. Yeah. But that's because we know where it comes from. Yeah. You know, I, you know, when, but. As I said, I'm never bothered when a a lost person sins because that is their nature. Their God is the liar, murderer, and thief from the beginning. Satan. And they're just doing what their father does. Lies, cheat, steal, abuse, victimize, and make problems. And like I said, I'm not surprised when Christians sin either because I know we have a sin nature, but I'm more sad when a, Christian, a good Christian sins because they should know better. They had the Holy Spirit convicting them even in the midst of what they're doing, hopefully. So I'm, more, I'm, I'm saddened when a Christian goes out and does what's wrong. Not surprised because I, I have a sin nature and I sin more, more often than I want but it does make me more sad. When the lost world sins, it doesn't even faze me a bit because that is their nature. They do not have a spirit in them convicting them as they do this. He's convicting them from the outside. He's letting their sin, their own conscience convict them. And this is the thing about it. They know they're doing wrong deep down and eventually that's how they get reached because they know what they're doing and God will judge people by what they know. If they know God's word, he's going to judge them. But if they don't know his word, he's going to go, you still did what was wrong. You still violated your own nation's rules, their laws, your own group's rules. You know, it is amazing how every group develops their own their own rules as well. There's rules within gangs, there's rules within prisons amongst the inmates that some of them don't make any sense to those of us who are normal. But they make perfect sense to them but they violate their own rules. And God would say, all right, you didn't keep my rules, you didn't come close to keeping my rules. You didn't keep your country's rules. You didn't keep your group's rules. You didn't keep your company's rules. You didn't keep any rules completely. And he'll be able to go down and show them each place where they did not obey and therefore sinned. And that's what it comes down to. You mean, and you know and good, good, good picture of that is every New Year's when people make resolutions. It takes them a month if they're really good at it before they break it and most of them are broken within the first week. I promise I'm not going to do this. You know, and God will come down and he'll say, he'll come down to whatever level it takes to prove to you that you're a sinner. Now, his ultimate is you sinned against me. But he'll just come down and go, you didn't even keep your country's rules. You did these things against your country. You didn't keep your company rules. You didn't keep your, your, your group's rules. You didn't keep your own, your own rules in life people will find when they stand before God they will know that they are guilty not just of his laws but that they are guilty and this is this is why it is so wonderful for us to be forgiven by Jesus he covers those sins because we still can't be can't be doing what we're supposed to do and he wants to crucify the flesh so that we can live spiritually. And over time, as we draw closer to God, we become better at living the right way. But we still don't ever get there. Our heart is still deceitfully wicked and God keeps showing us how deep that sin is. You know, I used to think that Paul, when he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, you know, most people go, he was pointing back. No, I really believe at the end of his life when he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, he was starting to see how wicked he was deep down. And this is where I, I see it more and more. The closer I draw to God, the longer I've been walking with God, the more I see how awful my sin is. Because I'm starting to see it more the way God sees it. The little things that everybody kind of just overlooks. You know, Well, God, I didn't say what I, what I wanted to say. And God says, yeah, but you still thought it. You, you thought it you know and you know when I was younger I'd have just been happy not to not to have done it yeah. now that I'm not doing it God's saying but you, it, yeah. you still aren't where I want you to be you're still not as loving as I want you to be you're still and the closer we walk with God the brighter his light shines into our life and the more we see the ugliness of who we are and the more thankful we are for God's grace because even though I know that I've got all this ugliness in my heart, I know that God's grace has covered it. And that I can walk with him knowing that I don't stand in my own righteousness anyway. I stand in his righteousness. And you know, if I had stood in my own righteousness, I'd be in trouble anyway. Because it's just a bunch of filthy rags, so you know, that's not even good. And so all of this comes down and Peter sees this in him. He sees, you're embittered. Yeah. Did he know where he fell from? I don't know god God shows us some interesting things when sometimes when he's working on you know and but the spirit shows him that this man is in the middle of bitterness. he is in iniquity he's trying to get his position of power back uh you know, he lost his power. Philip has been rising in power. Not that Philip was trying to rise in power, but as far as he's concerned, Philip is, you know, the superstar. He's the man of God. He's the one that everybody's listening to now. And he has been now playing second fiddle. He had not learned John the Baptist idea: I must decrease, he must increase. And there are times when we need to realize that God is going to say... It's time for somebody else to shine forth, and you step back. It's a hard thing because our egos don't like that. When we have been the star in whatever, it doesn't even have to be the, the brightest star. You know, I have been the Sunday school teacher for forever, and now you want me to step down. You know, I have been this god, and it's now time to step down. It's a star in our own eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, forgetting who the star really is. And unfortunately, this is the pride that can develop in our life. The whole pride that comes in saying, look what I have done. Forgetting that it's all God. You know, these guys, are, these evangelists that build mega churches because God's got to work for them. And it's God usually making their church large. And then they start looking around. And they're going, wow, God, this is, look at, look at what I've created. Look, Look how much I'm loved. These people just love me and they're, and the greatest thing since sliced toast on the in their eyes and and they stop and forgetting what's going on and lift themselves up and god says okay let's let's chop your legs out from under you a little bit and let you know who is in charge and it will happen they'll get into an adulterous affair. they'll get into embezzling they'll get into false doctrine, something will happen that will push them down in people's eyes. Not that they can't be forgiven God will still forgive them if they repent but we have to be careful and there's that time when it says okay now is the time okay you can take it alright God you're gonna take it? You know, I kinda of look forward to it. If God moves me on I'm gonna go okay God what's, what's next? What's, what's the next thing for me to do? now I want to make sure that it's God moving me on and you want to make sure that it's God moving you on but Simon here is bitter he has been top dog in this town now Philip comes around not even wanting to be top dog he's just building a church and Simon has been pushed down not looked at and now he's got an opportunity says "All right." I these guys are the big dogs They're, they've come from Jerusalem they've got they've got some really good trick they, you know this guy has been able to heal people I don't know how he's been doing I don't see it these guys lay their hands on it and they transfer power to these guys and he says I'm just gonna buy this trick he didn't believe how it was done he still believed it was some kind of trick uh, historians and when they related to Jesus called Jesus a magician or a sorcerer. He did a trickster. He did tricks. These healings were not real. Uh, and the sad thing is we've seen charlatans do healing services with plants. You know somebody comes up in their crutches and they pray for them and they run around the stage dropping their crutches because they didn't need the crutches in the first place. And then everybody comes charging up, and they give off big offerings to the in the offering plates, and these guys rake in the dough for for their falseness, and they leave town before they get get found out. Uh, this is the type of man that you know he's thinking there's some he's, he's thinking there's some trick to this. Now, like I said, many people believe that he got saved because of the first part of that. Yeah, but it, but it's- Yeah, he's still, he's still, he's still wondering. wondering how they're doing yeah. So he, he might have believed that the miracles were coming, but he didn't believe where they were coming from. Well, but he didn't understand where they were coming from. He, he wanted that power. Yeah, he's still wondering. Yeah, what is the trick? Yeah. What is the trick? And we as Christians have to be careful that we don't start thinking about God as a, as a trick or God as, a, as something other than what He is God uh... and we do not want to go to a church just so we can see miracles we don't want to go to a church just so things can be seen but you know god works miracles and some of the miracles are small miracles just like i've said many times upstairs on our end of the month dinners i think we've had some miracles happen because you have looked and there's not enough food for everybody to to be fed and yet everybody leaves with plenty of food and i'm going okay god did God make a miracle? I'm convinced that he did make some miracles up there. Very small. He didn't make 12 baskets of leftovers or anything. But he made sure that everybody got plenty of food. Yeah, he hasn't fed 5,000 people either. Here. <laughs> he could. And if we had a huge, huge showing, God would, God would make sure that it covered. But all of this comes down to Are our eyes on Him? Are we knowing that it's Him? Simon did not recognize this. Now Simon is a little worried though (laughs) when he's told, you need to repent. Repent and ask God that perhaps He will heal your hearts and your thoughts and that you will be forgiven. And Simon answered, and at this point maybe he makes a conviction to Pray to you to the Lord that none of these things which you have spoken befall me. He's a little afraid at this point. <laughs> now, is he truly repentant? It is possible. I have a feeling that Simon was playing. He may have actually gotten saved, but he's kind of playing. He hasn't, you made, made a point, he hasn't learned. He's still looking for the secret you know, he's used to secrets, you know, for these amazing, amazing things. And Peter's words shock him because Peter saw straight to the heart of what he was doing. Sometimes God will let us say something that will cut straight to the heart of what's going on. And this is what's going on. He goes, you've got, you, you are sitting in the midst of bitterness and iniquity. You have not fully repented. You are you know you are hanging on to the wrong things and he goes you are judged (laughs) and he goes you guys pray you pray that I that this won't happen pray to God that this will not happen he is fearful he's been found out he's been seen through and now he's ready to repent and then it's very interesting in this verse 25. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages in Samaria. So Peter and John preach, preach and teach in, in Philip's church that's being developed. And then they go, okay, everything, God is working here. They don't understand it because even they are not in this position, but they don't understand this. Samaritans have gotten saved. Samaritans have been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a shock to them. Because they still, they just never, we've got to think about how prejudiced the Jews are. They were Jews. All right. And sometimes we forget that the church was started by a Jewish people. And they were not trying to go on and start a new religion like people have accused them of. Christianity was not, in their mind, a new religion. Religion—it was part of Judaism, because the Messiah, who is who they preached, the Messiah was the Jewish Savior. So they think that the, the village that got saved by the woman at the well was just a fluke because it was Jesus. They didn't understand what was going. I mean, I, yeah. honestly, I don't think they thought about it. All no. right, she believes he's Messiah. Well, she's getting a little crazy, but okay, God. Yeah. I think they just kind of—it was one of the many things they tucked away in their brain, saying. Does not compute, hide it away in a drawer that we're not going to look at. Just as when Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to go to die, and then I'm going to resurrect, and they didn't. Does not compute, Messiah Messiah is coming to throw Rome off of us. Does not compute when he says that he's going to die and resurrect. So put it in the back file of the mind, you know, that doesn't make sense, so get rid of it. Now, I don't want to be bitter on them because we do the same thing. When we read a scripture that does not compute to us or we don't want it to, it makes no sense. We stick it in the back of our mind saying, okay, here's my file, my, my, my safe that does for all the things that don't compute. Stuff it in there. And then later God might be able to pull it back out just as he did with them. So I think this, when Jesus went to the Samaritan woman and they got converted... At least in the Samaria, they were half-Jews, so it's maybe not that big a deal, but it's still, the hated people are following the Messiah. They've accepted the Messiah, does not understand. This is like what happened in the Deep South when people, when Christians were convicted, white Christians were convicted to go preach to the the, uh, slaves and the Negroes, and it's like, God, you want what? (laughs) You want me to do what? The, the, this prejudice would kick in all over. God oftentimes will say, I want you to go beyond your prejudice and reach out. And all of us have some prejudice on some, some things. It might not be skin color. It might be wealth. It could be status. It could be position. All of us have certain amounts of prejudice in our, in our, in our being and God is going to challenge every prejudice that we have and say, are you going to break out of that mold? We see it all through the scriptures. James said, you know, you, you're, you say to the rich, come and have this best seed, and you say to the beggar, you come sit by my feet, or better yet, in the back of the room. He goes, you're taking those who abuse you and putting them in the best places and he's going, the same thing, a prejudice. All through Scripture, the prejudices have been attacked. And there really shouldn't be any prejudice in any of our life at all skin color, wealth, position, title none of it, because we are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are all have what we have just because God allowed it. Maybe too far up. Maybe you know. Maybe it's uh, just a whole problem that you're having, and you know. So usually it's looking down because usually we look down on the wealthy because they didn't get what they they don't deserve what they got. It was it was it was hand fed to them. So usually our prejudice is against the against the wealth. Uh, a lot of that is envy and covetousness. I wish I had it. You don't deserve it as much as I do because whatever reason we used to to do it. But all of these prejudices are things that God is going to challenge in our life, and saying, "Are you ready to get rid of this attitude? Are you ready to be content with what you have, and let them let them just be?" You know, in Psalm two, David asks, "Why do the heathens rage and the people? You know, God, why haven't you why haven't you brought the 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 punishment that they deserve?" You know, God, the, they they're they're sinning against you. Why aren't you? We oftentimes will have that same attitude. God, I am serving you. I've been giving my offerings. I'm serving you all the time. I'm in church all the time. Why is that person being blessed? And we've said this. If we really knew them, they're probably not they're not probably feeling blessed at all. They don't know God. Their wealth is not is not making them happy. Their fame is not making them happy. They're they're 38-room mansion is not making them happy. The 12 cars in their garage is not making them happy. They are miserable, and we look at them and say, they're being so blessed. They're not feeling blessed. They wouldn't be getting into drugs and alcohol if they were feeling blessed. They have problems out there because they do not have God in their life. And ultimately if we really, really understand that this world is not our home, we will get our blessings, our ultimate blessings, when we get to heaven. They will get their ultimate reward of hell when they get to on the other side of death. We need to have a longer time frame in our, in our mindset. We think that this world is so long and so, so precious, and God's saying eternity eternity is coming for you eternity is coming for them we're going to have our rewards in heaven and we have them for eternity and it's going to be a good reward and we will be happy with whatever rewards we get because we'll know that this is what we deserve these people who seem to have everything in this world but don't have God number one they're not happy in this world either all you gotta do is talk to some of them, and you start real if they'll talk, if they will deem to talk to you, you'll find out that they don't, that they're not very happy. They're looking for peace. And then when they die, if they have not come to God, they will have eternal punishment. They've suffered on earth and they will continue to suffer for eternity, with nothing good in eternity. You know, At least here they look and say, well, I've got some fame and I've got some money, I've got some whatever. But in eternity, they won't have anything to look at and say, I had something good. It will all be punishment. All be conviction and the conscience telling them that they're there because they deserved it. And they deserve what they got. It will not be an easy thing. And we need to be able to look and say, God, this world is not what matters. Your eternity matters. And for us as Christians, if God chooses to put us through hell on earth during our walk, he's gonna give us great rewards because of our faithfulness and what he put us through. But the reward in heaven will make us totally forget about what we went through in this life. If he gives them, if he gives the lost all blessings and they just have their heart and their conscience trying to get them here on this world, they've got their heaven on earth. And when they hit hell, they're going to be wishing that they were on earth and we're going to be so glad that we're not on earth anymore. As believers, we're going to go to heaven and we're going to go, boy, I'm sure glad I wasn't, you know, God really blessed me while I was down there, but man, I am so glad I'm not there anymore. Because I have all the greatest blessings and, 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 and uh, good things on, for eternity. Not this, little. not this little piece of, and even when it's a good life on earth, we'll, we'll look back and let's say for some reason you went through the whole life and didn't really have a lot of, you walked with God really close, you didn't have, you're still going to get to heaven and look back and say, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not back down there. Yeah. I had people that died, I had friends that died, this happened, that happened, didn't seem to happen to me very much, but it was not all that great now I'm in heaven. Nobody dies, nobody gets sick, nobody gets hurt. The people in hell are going to be wishing for, heaven, for earth again. You know, the misery of earth is what they're going to be wishing that they were back in. And we need to understand this is why Paul was able to say I'm content with what I have. He goes, this world is nothing in comparison to what is coming. And he goes, and I love the verse, he goes, these light afflictions, you know, Paul was very interesting when he said light afflictions, because most of us would look at his light afflictions and say, God, I am sure glad you haven't given me those. And Paul is saying, these are just, these light. I'm looking forward to what comes in the, for the rest of eternity. His eyes was focused on what mattered. And this is where we need to be, our eyes focused on what truly matters. I fumble and bumble every time I talk and, and witness to somebody, but at least I'm doing something and there'll be a reward for my attempt. And when I get to heaven, I might get surprised at how many people got saved at my bumbling and, and how many seeds were planted, how, many wa- how much watering was done, how many souls are in heaven, because I did not stay silent. May not have said the right words, may not have done it the right way, but seeds were planted, seeds were watered. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work anyway. And some people will be impressed that you even tried. And they're going, wow, this person didn't seem to do a very good job at it, but they really believe at it, and they tried. So we need to be people that are looking to heaven and saying, God, I just want to serve you. I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. We're going to stop here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, give us the boldness to stand forward with you. Fill us continually with your Holy Spirit. Show us your power and allow us to see and have the freedom to use your spirit and see you work in people's lives. we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast to spend eternity with God we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord to be assured eternal life we simply talk to God admit you are a sinner and ask him for his free gift you must mean the words to get the to be answered Jesus is waiting to hear your request if you have asked him for eternal life he has come into you and he will change you start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life after you understand the book of Ephesians you can start reading the Gospel of John next find a good Bible teaching church tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.